talking about whatever can be shaken. I told you that um, there were similarities to what is going on in our nation, in our world, uh, to that of a bullfrog syndrome that it slowly shifts and so 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 changes so slowly that we don't even recognize we wake up have you ever found yourself in a situation and never knew how you got there didn't know how it happened you didn't know what took place you just suddenly realize that you were not in the position or the place that you desired or you wanted to be. And uh, that's, that's what's been in my heart for some time now. It's what God's put in my spirit several weeks and months ago that uh, there is a shakening that must take place and it must begin in the house of God. And... Uh, Today, I want to talk to you about whatever can be shaken. And today, uh, if you are visiting with us for the first time, as I said last week, please understand that you can't tell all the whole truth in just one, one setting. You have to continually hear the word of God. It's a progressive hearing of the word that brings about truth. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to speak truth today, but it isn't all that we believe. All right? And uh, so today's message is going to, to ch- probably be challenging. I know that it will challenge the church. Uh, what I'm about to say today will challenge most of this modern day church. But there's something inside of me that says that as much as we must be relevant, there are still some things that cannot change. And that we have to hold on to some truths and we have to, there are some things that we just need to know are staples, if you will, in our relationship with God, in the kingdom of God. And those things never change. Amen. The blood of Jesus never changes. The virgin birth never changes. Amen. He is still God all by himself. Amen. And so those things are truths and realities that never change. And I want to go today to Joel chapter 2 and verse number 1. Joel 2 and verse number 1. And you probably know it, may know it by heart. The prophet steps on the scene and, of course, he lays the foundation in verse num- or chapter 1, but in chapter number 2, he says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Zion is not the world. Zion is Israel. Zion today is a picture of the church. He said, Blow the alarm or the trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm in my holy mountain and let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord has come for it is nigh at hand. Now we understand this scripture is a prophetic cry from the prophet of God sounding an alarm telling the church to fulfill its call to blow the trumpet in Zion. Today, this call has not changed. 
nor has it been diminished. The day of the Lord is at hand. And the church must get ready. There must be a sanctifying. There must be a preparing of ourselves because Jesus is coming again. I said, yes, Jesus is coming again. And I'm not talking about today a new wave of progressive worship coming or even a new trend of Christianity. I'm talking about Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, amen, is coming back for his church. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ are going to rise first and we which are alive and rich remain will be caught up to be together with the Lord in the air. Amen. Praise God. He is coming back for his church. And so I just say today that the church must get ready. Those in the nightclub need to get ready. Those on the racetrack need to get ready. Those in the bar, the football game, those that are at work, we all got to get ready. Amen. For whatever, uh, for everyone, we have to understand that Jesus is coming and he is coming soon. The call to the church hasn't changed. The cry hasn't changed. The problem is the church has put down their trumpet. A trumpet is a loud blast. The trumpet is something that it sounds the alarm. Amen. But I'm afraid today that the church has put down the trumpet and picked up the clarinet and the cornet and whatever has tickled the ears of the masses for the most part. And we're playing a different sound today than God ever intended for us to play. It's not a sound which drives out the enemy. It is not a blast that alerts the alarm that says that we have to get ready. But today God has called the church to sound the alarm. Amen. To blow the trumpet and sound the alarm because Jesus Christ is coming soon. Oh, the songwriter said of many years ago, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Amen. When the trumpet sounds and those eastern skies begin to split, the church will meet him in the air and Jesus really is coming soon. Amen. Sadly, overall, the church has stopped blowing the trumpet and sounding the alarm. But I want to give you three reasons today that we must still be faithful to sound the alarm. Number one is this. It is to, an alarm is to wake us up. Most of us don't want to wake out of a sleep by an alarm. We don't want to, to, to be aroused out of a deep sleep or out of our slumber whenever that alarm goes off because how many know it's not playing flutes? It is an annoying sound. An alarm is something that, that doesn't make you feel good and make you just want to sleep a little longer. 
It is something that shakes you, that awakes you out of that, that, that sleep zone, that comfort zone, that place that you're enjoying. But the alarm goes off and says, you've enjoyed it. You've been in a good place, but now it's time to get up. Amen. You see others, and some of us even, you know, have a, a, a anointing that's a snooze anointing. That alarm goes off and we reach over and hit the snooze for five more minutes. Amen. That's what we see whenever God was leading the children of Israel out of bondage. And, and he said, uh, whenever he told them, I'm going to lead you out. He said, would you just let us stay one more night? Amen. It's in your book. Read it. Amen. One more night with the frogs. That'll preach. Amen. Let us stay here one more night. And sometimes we get so comfortable with what is going on that we can just hit the snooze button of life and say it's okay. It's all right. It, it isn't harmful. And we ignore it. And we want it we, as if it was to go away. But I'm thankful today that the alarm doesn't go away. It's annoying, it's loud, it's a sharp sound, but it is not going to go away by you just wishing it. You've got to get up and respond to the call. Amen. And God is calling the church to respond to the call. To wake from our slumber and our sleep and a spirit of apathy and begin to rise up and answer the call. Another purpose is, to, is a call to action. When I think about this purpose, I see, uh, uh, you know, I have a vivid, vivid imagination, but I see a fireman as he's sleeping in the firehouse. His hat is hung up on the, the side of the bed and, and all of this, and, and he's there sleeping sound. When suddenly the alarm goes off, he quickly jumps to his feet. He puts on his clothes. He slides down that ladder. He jumps into the fire truck at 1 a.m. and goes and answers the call. I think about our soldiers who are standing watch in the military bases all over our, the world, amen, and the enemy and the terror comes to them and the alarm awakes them out of their sleep and calls them into action. Another purpose of a, this is to warn us of danger. It sounds, says it's time to evacuate. It's time to get up, right? Whenever I was in college and, uh, it's been a couple of years, but whenever I was in college, the first night in the dorms, one o'clock in the morning, I hear the fire alarm go off. I'm in a new place, a new building, don't know what is going on, and I hear this alarm go off, and I say, I jump up, I start putting my clothes on, and then I hear this voice that causes fear to get in me. It's, it comes over the system and it says, there has been a fire detected on your, uh, in your dorm area and on your floor. Please evacuate immediately. And I jump up, I run out frantically out of the building. And then I get out there and the fire trucks come, the ambulance come, all of these people come. Everybody in the campus is out there in the parking lot only to find out it's a false alarm. Amen. I go back and, and the alarm goes off the next night. 
said last week we have seen tragedy after tragedy until we are no longer alarmed by the alarm we we are just setting in the place of comfort we're saying we're just going to stay here until we have to move right but to see the alarm is not pleasant it's not easy it's not fun to listen to and when you hear the alarm go off in the morning you you jump up and and you begin to go and and you don't when you wake up you don't jump up and grab the alarm and shut it off and say it's a wonderful life you don't say it's a beautiful sound. You, you want to get that thing shut off as quickly as possible. Amen. Do you think that fireman rests in his bed enjoys being awakened at 2 a.m. to respond to the fire alarm? Do you think that our military pilots are, are joyful when they hear the alarm go off and they go and they get into in the midnight hours, they rush into their plane to go to where the enemy is at? No, these things are not pleasant. And as I think about the unpleasant alarms, I was reminded that, that this is where we are today. We are at an hour when it seems as though that we're in this comfort zone, but there's some unpleasant things. The alarms of unpleasancy is waking us up and saying, we must face reality. <coughs> you can live in a fantasy world if you want to. But the reality is, is it's time to wake from our slumber and from our sleep. Amen. And if the church does not sound the alarm, who will sound the alarm? Amen. A politician, a government, the masses, who will sound the alarm to the world that Jesus is coming and we need to get ready? No one, if the church does not there will not be a sound there will not be alarm and that is the responsibility of the church our responsibility has never changed amen the church is supposed to be more than a social club amen it could it be that the church is silent and, and, and it is still it is a place of sacredness it is a place of holiness that is called to sound the alarm in this immoral society and say wake from your slumber awake from your sleep for the day of the Lord is at hand If the church is not to be the alarm, why have we started worrying about what it sounds like? We have altered the sound, catered to accommodate people so that they can be made comfortable. Amen. But we are to sound the alarm. 
let me say it this way. We are supposed to be annoying. <laughs> Amen. We are supposed to be bothersome. Amen. We are supposed to be brash. We are, we are to prick the conscience of man, sinful man. Amen. So, since we, when has the alarm, ask someone's permission to sound. Since when have we said, well, it's okay. We, we just, we're supposed to be quiet. No, no, we are not supposed to be quiet. We are not supposed to be calm. We are not, we are supposed to be the church. And the church, that alarm is loud. It is annoying. It is, it is noisy. Amen. It doesn't appease or bring calmness, but it causes an alert to rise up on the inside and say something must happen here. Amen. It's not designed to lull you to sleep. It is to wake us out of our sleep. It is not for our convenience. It is to accomplish a cause and a purpose on the inside of us. And it's time for the church to blow the trumpet in Zion, to sound the alarm in his holy mountain, for Jesus is coming soon. We've not been called to be trendy or hip. Amen. We are to give people an opportunity by telling them Jesus is coming soon. And we're the only thing standing between our nation and the judgment of God. We are the only thing standing between mankind and eternity. Amen. And you see, there's a nation at jeopardy. There are souls in the balance. And we need to blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm. Amen. We need to quit caring about who it bothers. Amen. Because you see, we, we have an epidemic that has hit our nation. Amen. And it is our, in our culture, we see that we have become a, the, the church has become a subculture instead of a counterculture. Hear me today. We have a disease. It's called politically correctness. Amen. And one thing that has made America, America is the thing called freedom of speech. But nowadays, the freedom of speech is pretty much non-existence because of this sickness called political correctness. Amen. But we're, where is our freedom? Amen. Everyone has freedom but the church. Everyone. It's all right for the spirit of Sodom to march down our streets. Men kissing men and women kissing women. Huh? Ain't nobody saying nothing. It's all right. Amen. For all of this sin to be spewed out all over our nation and people can get on the TV and talk of anything they want to but God. In fact, you can even talk about God, but don't you dare talk about Jesus. 
Because God is just whoever you desire him to be, whatever you've created to him to be, whoever it is that you serve. But, but don't be talking about Jesus because if you talk about Jesus, uh, uh, people start getting offended. And it's not politically correct. Amen. When you talk about Jesus, the one who came from the portals of glory into the earth, gave himself as a crucified lamb, hung between heaven and earth that we could have life. And somehow it, it offends them that you would call them to repentance. Somehow it offends them to say that you must be born again. Somehow it offends Americans whenever you tell them you can't live however you want to, but you've got to give your life and surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ suddenly people get offended that is what America is called is all about is freedom of choice amen but where is the freedom there are certain businesses that do things that I don't like amen <laughs> But I don't go around protesting them. I think that if you don't want to sell somebody a cake, you ought not have to sell it to them. Amen. Go buy your cake somewhere else. Amen. Starbucks told people that if you believe in marriage and you believe in Christianity then just take your money somewhere else don't be buying our stock we don't need you but I don't go around Starbucks holding up a sta uh, something telling people to protest this don't buy your coffee here if you want to go buy pay six bucks for a cup of coffee go help yourself amen it's a free world but why is it that when it comes to Christianity and it comes to the kingdom of God that people are so offended when you talk about the God that we serve, Jesus Christ? You see, I'm not against these people today. I'm just telling you today that somewhere in the mix we've got it all messed up until we feel like we have to be politically correct. Amen. But we just want to, to, to nobody to be upset. We don't want nobody to be offended. Yet we want to be like Jesus. <clears throat> Some people said they would like to have Jesus for a pastor. You wouldn't make it. Neither would I. Amen. Look at pastor Jesus. He looks at the people and calls them vipers and hypocrites. White sepulchers, liars and thieves. <laughs> He just wanted to be trendy. Amen. <laughs> Personally, I think that we have to understand today that, that we, are so, we are so concerned about people, you know, liking, being trendy, being all of this and that. But I, and I understand all of that. I told you that this is just one side of the truth today. There's another side. We believe in the grace of God. Is anybody thankful for his grace? Amen. But you see, we have, we are, it is our job to blow the trumpet. For 600 years, prophets were silenced. 
But Jesus walked on into the temple and he said that this house, this is my father's house. It's a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And he goes in and he turns over tables and he's cracking a whip. Today in the modern day preacher, if they would have went in it there and they'd have seen them selling these doves and manipulating, they'd have just went in and asked them, do, do, do you need a comf- more comfortable chair? Because we don't want you to be offended. We, it, it's wrong. You shouldn't be trying to manipulate and you shouldn't be trying to, to stake these pe- uh, of people's worship and take advantage of their desire. To win. We know it's wrong, but can we get you a more comfortable chair? Amen. But you see, political correctness is a deadly disease. It's killing more people today than cancer and AIDS or any other disease or all of them combined. Because the preachers around America today, their voice is silenced and we want to be liked by everybody. But God sent Jesus and if Jesus wasn't liked by everyone, what makes you think that you doing the right thing is going to cause everybody to love on you. Amen. No, it's our job to sound the alarm in Zion. It's our job to declare that Jesus is coming soon and it's time for all of us to get ready. If you believe it, give him praise here today. Political correctness has leaked into the church until we want to Watch everything we say as to not offend anybody. But I'm thankful that when I grew up, pastor wasn't worried about politically correct. He was concerned about my soul. And wasn't worried about, well, if you're you're living in sin, we don't want to offend you. Amen. Amen. Is anybody thankful for that? You see, over the last five years, I've heard a lot of preaching that doesn't sit well with me. And I've concluded that it seems to be scripturally sound, but yet it just hasn't felt right. Something is, is, is missing. The problem with it is what is being preached. It's not, let me say it this way. The problem is not what is being said. It is what is not being said. Amen. Because you see, we preach Jesus saves and we preach Jesus loves you and we preach he is, he comes, you just come as you are. But if you do not tell people that you can just come as you are, but you don't stay as you are, then you've just preached a half-truth to them. Amen. Because you see, yes, we come as we are because if we could cleanse ourselves, if we could change ourselves, then we would have no need for Christ. But the fact of the matter is that we could not redeem ourselves and we could not cleanse ourselves. We needed the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so we come as we are, but we have to understand that we don't stay as we are. And when we don't tell them the other side of Christ, amen, and we don't tell them that Jesus comes but, he, but, but sin condemns, then we need to tell them come as you are but you got to leave differently than you come. 
Amen. Jesus accepts you just the way you are, but he died to change who you are. <laughs> Amen. It's not just what is being said. It's what's not being said. There's two sides to his nature. He is both grace and law. He is both mercy and judgment. And we need to know them. Amen. And we need to know them. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone and the more you get to know them, the more you found out that there was two sides to them? You find out that there wasn't only a positive side, but there was also a negative side to them. Because we want people to fall in love with God, which is what they should do. It's a good thing, right? But most often we tell them one side of him. And when they find out the other side of him, they become shocked and dismayed. Let, let me try to explain it like this. And this is just an example when you only tell people come as you are by omission we are subconsciously telling them that he's a God that has not no requirements but after six months they're still sleeping around amen doing drugs in the church parking lot and whenever we send the elders or send some people to talk to them and tell them you can't do that. They look at you with dismay and say, what are you talking about? I'm loving Jesus. Amen. And this dope helps me. Love Jesus. And I just love everybody. So I can't help myself. Huh? And then... We wonder why they say, well, nobody told me I had to change. They just told me, come as you are. I'm just being me. But you see, yes, we come as we are, but we do not stay as we are. Jesus paid a price, as I told you last week. Jesus paid too far a price for us to just come to him and then stay in our bondages. He has paid a price that we can be free, amen, from sin and the bondages of the world. And so we have to come to a place where that we repent of our sins and we change our life, praise God. It's more than just a delusion, but it is a confession that we cannot do it without him. And so we tell them that he is a gracious God. He is full of grace and mercy and he will reach to the uttermost and pull us out of the muck and the mire and the sin and put our feet upon a firm foundation but you have to do something too you have to cleanse your hands you have to purify yourself through the reading of the word of God that your life has to change amen Charles Finney was a great evangelist who most theologians credited for giving the first altar call he is the first one that theologians believe had ever invited people to come to an altar and pray and he called them forward and I'm just going to share with you what he did I'm not saying that he had it all right I'm just showing you from you heard the saying we swing from one side of the pendulum to the other 
I want to show you what what Charles Finney in that age, what they did. This Charles Finney, he gave a public altar call and he told the people, if you want Jesus, raise your hand. And then he told them that they were to come to the altar and they did by the hundreds and the thousands. And then he gave the altar call and he said, I'm not going to, to, to pray with you until I see a repentive heart. And he said that the spirit of God, conviction would come and brokenness would come and people would weep and cry before God. And you would think that that would be enough. And I'm not saying today that, that, that he had it all right. Understand, I'm just saying one side the pendulum to the other. And then he would say, I'm not going to pray with you until, but it, for salvation, but if you meet me here at five o'clock in the morning, then we'll pray for salvation. That seems harsh, doesn't it? How many people would we count for salvation if we said, if you're, if you're really remorseful, if you're really tired of sin, then just meet me here at five o'clock in the morning and we'll pray. People would say, well, I, I, I can't do that. Bless God, I got up and came to church today. Can't you pray for me now? Amen. They would, we would make all kinds of excuses. We'd say, well, we, we've got work or there's jobs. We, we've got all of this. We've got all that. But my question is, what about demons? What about bondages? What about addictions? What about spiritual change? What about repentance? Amen. But we've swung from this side of Charles Finley over to this side where that just come as you are and you be happy, we'll be happy, and we'll all be happy together. Huh? No change required, nothing required of us. Just live as we are and one day we'll all go together to meet the Lord in the air. When people come to the cross, they need to know that there is a work of repentance and be remorseful for the fiber, the character of their fiber, what they, they have done in their lives. We must be remorseful and let him change us. Yes, we must be relevant, but we need to be as soft as and harmless as a dove. But the other side of that is we need to be aggressive enough to speak the truth in love. Amen. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Unfortunately, the church today has dismissed this verse as being for us today. But I just want to ask you a couple questions this morning. They're just questions. But could it be that the lack of church violence is the reason we are seeing so much violence in our streets? Could it be that the church being preaching the wrong message needs to get back to the basics and the fundamental principles that we are the church of the living God and that we will sound the alarm? You see, the word of God is quick and sharper than any two-edged sword. The scripture says it divides even to the mire or to the bone. Maybe we would have less violence in our streets if we would preach the truth of the gospel of the kingdom. Amen. Preach the truth truth maybe just maybe we need to get back to being violent in the spirit amen till we reach out to those that are bound and those who are oppressed to believe for our families and believe for our communities and say we're not going to sit here and let our community be bound we're not going to let our community go to hell in fact we're going to make it 
here because we're going to tell the truth in love and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Say, well, we just don't want to offend. Well, there's a lot of other churches you can find that at. And, And even the one that even the one, and I'm, I'm not going to call names today, but even the one that started this seeker-friendly thing repented a few years ago and said, we've filled buildings, but we haven't made disciples. And now we've got to learn how to make true disciples. I want to tell you, the cross is a stumbling block. Jesus himself said he is the rock of offense. <laughs> huh? And since... When did we think that the gospel is not meant to be offensive? If people have not come to Christ, we refer to them as sinners, as lost. Huh? Not. They're not followers of Christ, however you want to to relate, whatever you find. But they're lost without God. And it, it is going to offend them whenever you tell them you can't live that lifestyle any longer. It's going to offend the soul. Because you see, there has to be a conflict in the soul for man to come to Christ. There has to be an encountering of the spirit that, that speaks to the soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And the spirit of God begins to deal with the soul of man and says you can't think that way any longer. You can't live that way any longer. You can't act that way any longer. And there is a conflict. There is an offense of the soul that says if I'm going to be a Christian, then I can no longer live in this lifestyle. Amen? So what is the good news? The good news is not that everybody is going to be okay. The good news is that we have righteousness in Christ and that God ransomed us from sin. Amen? How did he do it? Through his son dying on the cross. We have redemption. We have forgiveness. And this is amazing. Just think, his blood has never lost its power. His blood is still saving. His blood is still changing. Amen. I don't want anything that just uh, that, that I just accept and then go on in life the way that I've been going on. Man, whenever I came to Christ, I wanted something to change the direction I was going. I wanted something to live for. I wanted something to hope for. I wanted something that would cause me to get up with a spirit of expectation and say, life is worth living. Amen. The purpose of the church is to be an alarm which wakes up the world. We are to blow the trumpet and sound the alarm. Amen. Only the pure and the holy will see God. 
We need to put off the spirit of apathy and complacency and we need to put on the spiritual strength, amen, and call people to action and say, hey, we're not going to protest, but we're going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're going to believe the promise of God. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not here to try to infringe upon people's rights. Let them protest if they want to, but I believe that a prophetic word from God can do more in 10 minutes than we can do marching in 10 years glory to God and so we have to call ourselves back to be the people that God has called us to be he has not called us to blend in he has not called us to be wallflower church but he has called us and gave us an anointing that will cause us to stand out Joseph huh You got that coat of many colors on you strutting around out here in this field and you don't think it's going to draw attention to you? What kind of crazy are you? Amen. I want to tell you that his father had to know when he put that coat on him, it was going to draw attention. And I want to say to you, child of God, Father God has put favor on your life. He's put a coat on you that's going to draw attention to you. But don't cower down. Don't try to blend in. Say, I'm just going to keep on wearing my coat. I'm still going to show the favor of the father because he has been good to me. Amen. The church has become a subculture, sadly. What is a subculture? I want to just take a few minutes. I've I've made this statement a few times if you've been around here, but I want to express what I'm trying to say today. What is a subculture? In this instance, it means that we've allowed the world's culture to influence us. And we've become a subculture of the world. We don't want to be an oddball. So we want to look like them, act like them, and be a chameleon. Whatever we're around, we become so we can fit in. Amen? We look like them, we talk like them, we act like them because all we are is a subculture. We we do this on Sunday, but we're still part of the culture. Are you with me? The church has not been called to be a subculture. It is called to be a counterculture. We are royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a peculiar people. Amen. That word peculiar doesn't mean we're weird. It means that we stand out. We're different. Amen. We speak in tongues. We cry in the church. We dance before the Lord. We celebrate his goodness. We lift holy hands to a holy God. Amen. We do that because we are different than the world. We are not just trying to be a subculture of what is already developed in our culture. Down through history, every counterculture movement has been based on being different than the norm. Amen. In the last century, there was a counterculture, a movement that was called the hippie movement. Anybody remember? And they decided we're going to wear bell-bottom britches. Those that don't know what britches are, that's pants. 
We're going to grow our hair long. We're going to change the dress code. We're going to stay up all night around the bonfire, hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And that's exactly what they did. Amen. And this counterculture movement was so strong that it changed the culture. Then after a while, they changed the dress code. It wasn't just hippies. It was everybody wearing bell-bottom pants. Everyone was wearing flowered shirts. It's quiet in here. You want me to get some pictures? (laughs) Then after a while, the culture shifted, and then those hippies became doctors and lawyers. They became representatives. They became senators. And suddenly they started wearing pinstripe suits. And once again, it changed the culture. Huh? They put up their bell bottoms for a suit, a three-piece suit and a tie. And suddenly everyone's, it's became custom. It became culture for men to wear suits. Every time there's a counterculture, there is a rebellion against the trend of the time. It is something that it isn't going to be widely accepted at first. It's not going to be something that people are going to give in to easily. But if you believe in it, amen, I said if you believe in it, that's the reason why the hippie movement changed the culture is because they believed in what they were standing for. They believed in something. Folks, you've got to believe in the gospel. You've got to believe in the word of God. You've got to believe that this thing will change people's lives. It is worth living for. And if you believe it, then you can stand up in a culture that is wicked and immoral. And you can say, we're not going to be a part of it, but we're going to develop a counterculture in in this culture until the kingdom of this world become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. Church, we can't create a revolution while we're jumping in the stream of conformity. But we've got to be willing to be different. We've done that. And then we've wondered why there is no power. We've done that and we wonder why there's no manifestation. Where are the miracles? Where are the signs and wonders? Where is the power of God? Where is the miraculous? It's simple. We've become a subculture instead of a counterculture of the world. We were too busy wanting to be cool. Huh? I'm just sharing my heart with you today. I thank God for the lights. I thank God for the sound. I thank God for this beautiful facility, huh? I thank God for all of the modern technology where that we can worship God in spirit and in truth. But if it all goes away, if there's nothing left but a voice, that's the reason why I say that the voice is the most powerful tool of worship. It's because when you have nothing left, if you have a voice, you can praise him and give him glory. But you see, the old-fashioned gospel isn't cool anymore. It isn't politically correct, but it is what will save man from his sin. It is what will change a person's life. Today, I believe that God's looking for some people that will be revolutionary. 
He's looking for some courageous people that will lead a counterculture movement that will change our nation. It is historically and not even just historically, but sociologically, it is ignorant to think that we can change anything by becoming what we're trying to change. Amen. Drug addicts don't change drug addicts. They do drugs together. Alcoholics don't change alcoholics. They do drugs to, or the alcohol drink together. Perverted people influence perversion in others. It takes someone who opposes that is willing to stand out and be different, amen, and say, we, we're not going to do this. We're going to have a revolution. And it's time for the church to rise up and say, we're not going to just settle for being a part of the status quo. We're not going to settle for being a part of the culture, but we're going to have a revolution and let that revolution start with me. Let that revolution start with my house. Let that revolution start with my life so that we can make a difference in this world. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. There'll never be a revolution. There'll never be a change in our nation until the church is willing to answer the call. It's time to arise and blow the trumpet. It's time to sound the alarm in the holy mountain. It's time for us to say we're not, yes, we want to be relevant and we will do all that we can to be relevant, but we're not going to do it at the sacrifice of being cool. Amen. And we're certainly not going to conform because God, there is too much call on the church for us to be cool. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about getting to heaven and him saying, well done, thou good and cool servant. You were hip on the earth. Come on in. I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things you didn't conform amen you didn't settle you were willing to be a counterculture so that lives could really be changed amen and I don't know about you but I, I, I want people to be real it don't help me if I'm sick and I go to the doctor and he wants to be hip and cool and he tells me, oh, there's nothing wrong with you, dude. Just hip-hop on out of here. All the while, I've got a terminal sickness inside. I want somebody to deal with it. And America is spiritually sick. I know that I don't have a platform of the nation. I know that I don't even have the platform perhaps of, uh, of, you know, a region yet. But I have this platform. And I have this people. And we're going to make a difference. I said we're going to make a difference. Amen. 
because I still believe that cities can be won. I still believe that a nation can be healed. Amen. And it starts with me. It starts with you. That says we will not conform. We will not be a subculture. But we will be a counterculture to this world. And be a light in the midst of darkness. You believe it? Give him some kind of praise right here today.